Hello and welcome to Baseball Bite, for people who'd rather be listening to the game than to a podcast about it. A speedy look at a few stories from around baseball that caught my eye. This week, a whistle-stop tour of the new rule changes for the minors, more on service time issues, and letting the kids play. Talking of which, that pitch lock is running. It's time to play ball. For everything to stay the same, everything must change. I don't know whether Commissioner Manfred is a connoisseur of Italian literature, but that classic quote from the Leopard would perhaps resonate with him recently about the experimental rule changes that MLB announced for the minor leagues last week. You could argue it's all a variation on a pace-of-play theme that the Commissioner has been repeating literally from day one of his tenure, when in an interview with ESPN's Karl Ravitch, he spoke of his mission to inject additional offence into the game, seeking the elimination of defensive shifts, and to be more, as he termed it, aggressive over the use of a pitch clock, all of which we now see in these new proposals. And during 2018 spring training, he told the media that the broadcast partners keep telling him that pace of game is a fan issue. Those broadcast partners being the ones, no doubt, whose research constantly warns of the danger of declining interest, particularly among the younger demographics. And since then, we have seen new trends of more foul balls and balls in play and strikeouts than hits, both of which, according to those polls, are not appealing to the fans. As the commissioner said in a 2019 interview with The Athletic, any changes to the game should make sure that the entertainment value of the product is maintained. A reminder that as much as it may offend the purists, this is a product and one that is meant to be entertaining. In the same interview, he then went on to emphasise his point, holding up his mobile phone and said, look, this is a challenge, a challenge across sports. And with that comment, basically became baseball dad, moaning at the kids, will you put that bloody thing down? And although for obvious reasons players, and even more so managers, are wary of any encroachment on their decision-making processes, it was interesting to see that Boston's Alex Cora, having spent all of last year sitting at home watching from a distance, for reasons that we will not dally over now, Remarked last week, there's certain days it's tough to watch. A sentiment echoed by another Boston luminary, David Ortiz, who told the Boston Globe that with, for example, hitters striking out too much, baseball is straight up boring. But with a suitably big Papi-esque expletive added. As Mr. Corr explained, the fans like stolen bases, they like the running game, and these rules are a good way to try it. So what are the changes? Briefly, as after all, Baseball Bite is all about pace of play now, and will they tick those crucial boxes of speed and entertainment? Well, in AAA, bases will be enlarged from 15 by 15 to 18 inches square. What difference does three inches make in life, I hear you ask? (laughs) Well, where to start? But in this case, what MLB calls a modest impact on solo base attempts and bases reached on bunts and ground balls. But also sources suggest that the bags themselves will be manufactured differently with better drainage, anti-slip features and less height, all of which, combined with less distance for the base runner, is argued could reduce incidences of injury, which, if true, would be an attractive offer to the players. Double A will see an anti-shift rule whereby all four infielders must have both feet on the infield dirt. Of course, it doesn't exactly ban a shift, as three of them, for example, could still be over on the right side for a left-handed hitter, which is why MLB is keeping its options open and suggests that it might consider in the second half of the season tightening this up, requiring two infielders to be positioned on each side of second base. Either way, this will be welcome news to anti-shift fans, not to mention the Joey Gallows of this world, but not so welcome to those who argue that it will remove the incentive for players, both defensively and offensively, to be more versatile and athletic. High A will be testing a rule that pitchers must step off from the rubber before a pickoff throw to any of the bases, as has already been tried in the Atlantic League, where the figures did show a dramatic impact. Stolen bases attempts up by 70% and successful over 80% of the time. Meanwhile, in low A, pitchers will be restricted to only two pickoff attempts, after which it's a bulk. And MLB has again not ruled out possibly reducing this limit to only one in the second half of the season. 
So considering that Major League last year saw the fewest attempted stolen bases since 1964, the impact of these changes would likely be very obvious, with the crowd getting a lot more of that entertainment it demands, though it would also inevitably raise a question about the implications of a change that clearly tilts the balance heavily in the favour of the base runner. Low A Southeast will be serving their robot overlords with the introduction of what we are told will be an improved version of the ABS automatic ball track system that was used in the Atlantic and Fall Leagues. This is a response to the concerns raised when the system was used in 2019 and we saw the top and bottom of the strike zone calling strikes on what hitters complained were clearly unhittable pitches. And lastly, the much cited pitch clock will be there in Low A West, which now even speedier at 15 seconds rather than the 20 as seen up to now. But what has this got to do with Major League? Well, a lot, as whatever gets tried out successfully in the minor league sandbox, will often eventually find its way to MLB. And this is even more significant in the context of last year's tectonic shift in baseball governance, with the end of the professional baseball agreement, and with that, the 120-year history of minor league's independence from MLB. The implications of which were already apparent with the Commissioner's decision to delay the start of the AAA season by a month. A similar proposal for Major League having been summarily rejected by the Players Association, which unlike its minor league counterparts, still has a veto right, at least in the first year, to any such changes. As an attorney for minor league players and a former player himself, Garrett Broshaus, complained, these rule changes are an MLB experiment which is another instance of minor league players being guinea pigs and without their consent. And let's not forget that looming over all of this is the shadow of the upcoming expiry of the current collective bargaining agreement on December 1st. And no doubt the success or failure of these changes will feature very loudly at the CBA negotiation table over the winter, along with the already prominent discussions concerning the universal DH and other changes we saw during last year's truncated season. But Commissioner Manfred insisted last year that he is willing to take whatever criticism comes if it means creating a game that Americans continue to embrace, presumably while watching it with those much derided phones in hand. When is a knee not just a knee? Well, when it's the knee of baseball's number four prospect and the so-called poster boy for forthcoming CBA battles. When Seattle's Jared Kelnick was pulled from a game after tweaking his left knee on March 5th, yet again it shone a light on a deep well of players' grievances. As soon as an MRI scan confirmed it to be an adductor strain, two separate narratives began immediately. The organisation made noise about how recovery shouldn't be rushed. It could take two, maybe even three months. Jared, on the other hand, seven days. I'll be back in seven days. Nothing serious. And in between those two narratives, an elephant-sized suspicion that this was a lucky escape for the ownership after the Kevin Mather debacle. Dome and Bedlam blog summed up best the situation for the whole of baseball. Never mind the Mariners. The state of MLB is such that the only team in the league to never make the World Series just lost the best position prospect they've had in decades to injury, and management probably considers it good news. And there's the crux. As long as there is this perverse incentive for teams to hold back their most promising players for reasons unfathomable to everyone apart from accountants, then the players' resentment will continue to grow, and with that, the game suffer. On Wednesday, when Jared Kelnick finally returned to spring training, Seattle GM Jerry DePoto told MLB Network that nothing was decided, but yes, it looked likely that he'd be sent to the minors as he needs more time. But the problem for every team now is regardless of the actual merits, and of course there are always valid arguments why upcoming prospects should be kept down, every decision made from now on will be viewed through the lens of what was said by a certain notorious CEO. So when Tampa Bay sends Wanda Franco, baseball's number one top prospect, down to the minors earlier this week, or the White Sox consider Andrew Vaughan's future, people are perhaps justified in their cynicism about the timelines. And MLB hasn't helped with this decision to delay the minor league season by a month and force players into the dreaded alternate training sites which offer questionable competition. It's difficult for a team to argue that it's only about development when there is no development actually happening. But it doesn't have to be this way, of course. Whether it be the Padres putting Fernando Tatis Jr. straight onto their 2019 opening day roster, or Kansas City with Eric Hosmer, Mike Mustakas, and more recently Brady Singer last year, one week before doing so would have gained them an extra year of control. 
And indeed, this week, Royals GM Dayton Moore said he is open to doing the same with their top prospect and spring training highlight Bobby Witt Jr. And surely, regardless of those inevitable CBA battles to come, if MLB is sincere about it being an entertainment product and encouraging this appeal to that ever-distracted Generation Z, then perhaps one way is to have the best and most exciting players on show rather than hidden away in service time purgatory. Controversial thought, maybe, but entertain the fans rather than the balance sheets. This is Beal. This train terminates here. All change. Reports came in today, Friday, that the Mets have put on the table an initial extension offer to Francisco Lindor just under the predicted $300 million mark, to which his agent David Meter countered with an unspecified number that was simply described as well over that figure. This follows Mr. Lindor's reassertion earlier this week that opening day is the deadline for said deal, explaining, I gotta give everything I got into winning baseball games. So if it doesn't happen in spring training, I will go to free agency. And although team president Sandy Alderson said recently referring to the Mets owner, even Steve Cohen at some point runs out of money, it is assumed that they will make strong efforts to keep hold of the all-star shortstop who has already proved to be an instant defensive IQ upgrade for a team which Mr. Alderson has admitted lacks defensive geniuses. But with the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade recently setting the tone, anything in that 300 million stratosphere will make it more than double the biggest deal in Mets history, David Price back in 2012. An offer was also reportedly made to right feeder Michael Conforto, but with no details yet and with his agent being the ever-formidable Scott Boris. The feeling is that a deal will be tricky and the winter free agency route more likely to beckon. Extra, extra, read all about it! Just enough time to say that this month's GQ has a lavish feature on LA's Mookie Betts looking very flash, where he speaks candidly about his reasons behind his move from Boston. I don't care if you're working at Waffle House for the Red Sox, he says, you should just get paid what you're worth. And someone else who's hoping to get paid what he's worth is the aforementioned Francisco Lindor, who's on the cover of Sports Illustrated MLB Preview Edition with an excellent interview with Tom Verducci, looking at the man who, as the headline says, wants to save baseball one smile at a time. And talking of fashion, not to mention arguably trying to save baseball from itself, interesting article by ESPN's June Lee concerning Victor's sport whose custom-made colourfully painted bats you may have seen brandished by the likes of Clint Frazier, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Bryce Harper. Bats which, in the case of Mr. Harper, MLB has rejected for breaking its rules. So yet again, the classic tension between a game that wants the kids to play, but complains when they do. Ah, that joyous sound of the Mariners, home run porn, can only mean one thing. It's time for me to trot around the base and get myself home. But until next time, my friends, never forget that sometimes in life, a quick bite is all that you need. Make sure that you subscribe, follow at Baseball Bite. But until next time, happy baseball.